I'd like for you to turn to the um, second chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And we'll read verses 12 through 26 as we go through this sermon. Often there is a difference between perception and reality. Between what something appears to be and what that really is. I'm sure you've had those experiences where you just knew that something was a certain way. You'd bet if you were a member of another denomination other than Baptist, you'd bet the farm that it was this way. Baptists don't, of course, bet. And, And you'd bet the farm that this is the way it is. You just know that's the way it is. And, and then you find out that, that what, what is really real is different from what is perceived to be. I just love it when, when I uh, you know, tell my wife there's something is a certain way and she tells me it's another way. And I just know I'm right. And find out that I'm not, but I don't tell her you know, that I'm not. But, but perception is often different from reality. This desk, this pulpit, appears to be solid, but it isn't. The world appears to be flat, but it's not. And the, and the sky appears to be blue, but it isn't. And perception is different often from reality. So that what is beneath the surface is often much different than what is on the outside of the surface. That's why God says that man looks on the outside... But he looks, but man looks at the heart. He looks on the outside. Man. I need to get these changed. That's why God says that he looks at the heart and man looks on the outside. What is on the inside is often much different than what is on the outside because you and I have a tremendous ability to hide the truth from one another. Mark Twain says that everybody is like a moon. He has this dark side that he wants nobody else to see. And the thing that makes the book of Ecclesiastes so magnificent is that it just tells the truth. It tells it like it is. It doesn't try to hide the truth or cover it up. It is the journal of a man in quest of happiness under the sun. And he tells just the the truth about what life is like as a man pursues life apart from from God. It is amazing what goes on underneath. And we look on television, we look at television and we see all these rich and famous and beautiful people. We drive by their houses. Tour guides go by their houses every day and people sit sit on those buses and look out and just secretly envy those people. What's down underneath though? Ralph Barton, the cartoonist, just before he blew his brains out said, I've had a few difficulties. I've had many friends and great successes. I've gone from wife to wife, from house to house. I've visited the great countries of the world. But I am fed up with the devices that fill up 24 hours of my day. It's what Freddie Prince said. It's what John Bellucci said. It's what Elvis Presley said. And Trowbridge has a book called The Misunderstood Man. And he tries to get beneath the surface where man has hidden all of these problems and burdens. And in this book he talks about the beautiful people and says they're frustrated. 
They feel all they do is in vain. They feel that everything they begin fails. And there is this sense of utter helplessness that overwhelms them when they look at the challenges that face them. Now what we're looking at in the book of Ecclesiastes is what goes on beneath the surface. Because on the outside, on the surface, this man has everything that everybody dreams of having. He's the richest man who's ever lived. He's the most intellectual man who has ever lived. And he has filled his life up with the toys that make life worth living, we assume. And his pursuit is the pursuit of meaning and purpose and, and, and happiness under the sun. That is, he's looking for something to fulfill his life, to make him happy, apart from God. We have noticed, in, just by way of review, we've observed that he's tried intellectualism. He has immersed himself in the pursuit of knowledge. He has filled his life with possessions. He increased his work. He rolled up his sleeves and he went to work. He built houses and he grew forests full of fruit trees and he dug canals and, and ponds. He filled his life with pleasure. He thought, I'm going to find what it means with my brain totally uh, at work. I'm going to try the best wine. He had a harem full of women. He had a thousand women available to him at any time, day or night. He tried everything in life that all the beautiful people try. And he says that momentary ecstasy was the limit of what I found. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's like striving for the wind. Now we come tonight to verse 12. And he decides that he will go in another direction. And this is the direction he, he decides he will take. He's going to take some things and bring some comparisons to see what really works in life. What works? I mean, there's got to be more to life than, than, than what I'm experiencing is his thought. And I want to find what works. And so he's going to bring some things and compare them. He brings, first of all, to comparison, wisdom and folly. Is it better, you know, to, 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 to spend your time and energy and money getting an education? Or, it, or is it just, just, as, just as well being foolish, a fool, ignorant, uneducated? It's so what he says in verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. I'm gonna, he's comparing them, you see. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. He said there's a difference between night and day. It's much better to, to, to get an education, to be wise, to train yourself, to expand your knowledge. It's much better than being a fool. He said it's better to go through life with your eyes open than with your eyes closed. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And so when he brings the, com the comparison foolishness, folly as a fool and, and, and wisdom, there's no comparison. But then he comes to this conclusion. He comes to the conclusion that the same fate impacts both the wise and the, and the foolish. The same fate impacts the man who is educated and the man who is uneducated. And what impacts them both is death. 
He said, now you can get an education and you can get wisdom and you can expand knowledge and you can get your grasp on how this thing works in life. But when it's all said and done, the same fate impacts you that impacts the illiterate. You're both going to die. And I think he deals with something that, that some of us like to avoid thinking about. He deals with the frailty and the, and the brevity of life itself, like grass. It's here today and in the oven tomorrow. Like the flower that blossoms in the daytime and, and lifts its dewy face toward the sun, and in the evening it wilts and droops and dies. Shakespeare said... We are the stuff that dreams are made of, and our lives are, are encompassed with sleep. So that at the beginning of it and the end of it, it all is the same for the wise and the foolish. We are all going to die. And he says in verse 16 that when we die, there is no lasting remembrance. I mean... Nobody remembers the, the wise man any longer than he remembers the fool. All of us forgotten. And we, we try to prevent that. We, we don't make our tombstones out of cardboard. We make them out of granite. And we don't write the names of the, our loved ones on those tombstones in chalk. We etch them in the granite because we want to be remembered. We want them to be remembered. But you can walk with me tonight just about a half a mile from here, that little cemetery out here in the northeast part of town. And those tombstones there that have been there probably for about one generation are breaking up and falling down. And, and I've walked out there and, and the weather and, and, the, and the elements have beaten on them so that the names are hardly legible. And so we say, well, I'm going to build a pyramid. I mean, I'll build a tombstone out of granite. I'll build a pyramid. Hubbard has a commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes called Beyond Futility. And he talks about the wonder of the ancient world, these great pyramids. 1,500 years after they are erected, men and women of the modern age gaze on them. You can put the cathedrals of Florence, Milan, Milan, and St. Peter's in the Vatican, as well as St. Paul's Cathedral and Westminster Abbey in London. All of them you can put in that one pyramid. And when Napoleon brought his men across Egypt, as they marched across Egypt, they stood one day and looked at the pyramid. And the men decided they would climb up the top of it on the outside. While, he, while they did, he stood on the outside and calculated that pyramid and said when they returned, Gentlemen, if we could take every stone from this pyramid and transport it to France, we could build a wall ten feet high, a foot thick, around the entire country. And so that monument stands in Egypt so that the man buried there will never be forgotten. And yet only a few history buffs even know the name of one man buried in them. We are forgotten and it doesn't matter how wise we are, how much education, the same fate befalls us all, death. And at the end of the generation that has known us, known and remembered no more. And so he says, well, I think I'll concentrate on leaving my fortune 
to those who are behind me. Maybe I can leave this to somebody who will take, take it up where I've left off and will go on with it. Maybe I won't concentrate on finding fulfillment in my life now. Maybe I'll concentrate on being fulfilled by, later on by someone else who is the extension of me. What about leaving my fortune to my children? Look at what he says in verse 17. So I hated life for the work which I had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after the wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it, look here, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Now here's the, here's the dilemma, you see. I've got to leave this behind, all that I have accumulated. But how do I know that the person who gets what I leave behind will take the investment and reinvest it in something worthwhile? How, will I, how do I know that the person who comes behind me will do with what I leave behind what I want done with it? I get it honestly with hard work. I've developed this from scratch. But when I die, will my kids make a mess of it? See, what a question. Um, you remember, you perhaps read about Barnhart, who is the founder, the inventor and the founder of the Eagle computer. The first stock, stock offering of that computer began to multiply. He was a multimillionaire with the first stock offering. For some unexplained reason, he drove his red Ferrari into 20-foot guardrail and down an embankment and died. Tonight, without any family, Eagle Computer Company is worth a billion dollars. Who has it? What are your plans tonight? When you dream about these things that you're going to, you're going to get your hands on and make, your dreams, your dreams, your plans... You work on them during your vacation. Put vacation, quotation marks. And you think about them in your spare time. And you will be reduced to death in a decade, and they'll be gone. And who will have them? See. And what will they do with them who have them? And I think that Solomon must have been thinking about his son, Rehoboam, who took over for his father when he died, and Solomon had had four decades of prosperity and peace. In less than five years, the entire nation under Rehoboam was plunged into war. And he lost, every, he lost this empire. As a matter of fact, when the Egyptians marched in to take over the country, he went to the temple and got the shields of gold that were in the temple his father had placed there as a, as a, as a reward, as a praise to God. And he... He melted them down and gave them to the Egyptians to buy them off and substituted shields of brass for shields of gold. That's the kind of man that he left this to. Somebody said, if every card you have in your hand will be trumped, what difference does it make how you play them? Death is a debt we all must pay now or later. And so he says in verse 20, Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. 
when there is a man who is labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. I want you to see this. He was a guy who works hard to get what he has. And he builds this empire with it. He gets this, this, um, uh, in th- this property, these possessions, and he turns them over to sons who've never worked a day in their life. They say, well, what does a man get in all his labor, in his striving with which he labors under the sun? It's all useless. And his sons fight over it. His kids fight over it. You may have heard of a man named, the man named Glick, who was the great, the, uh, uh, one of the richest men in West Germany. Hilmut Glick. Uh, entrepreneur, worth a one and a half billion dollars. In 1966, his wife died three hours after he buried her. He was back in his office at work. That's all he did, work. He died, had a, a million, had a billion and a half dollars. And when he died, his family fought over his possessions, fought over the, the inheritance. And such was the result of that family feud that the economist in, in, in West Germany shuddered at the thought of who would get it and what they would do with it and said, quote, they may send West Germany into bankruptcy fighting over one man's empire. For Glickt scored a profit and the market. And he struck out at home. It's a price you pay when you build an empire and you turn that empire over to the family, a family you haven't prepared for it. Well, he said, maybe that's not such a good idea to... You know, to, to, to think about you know, leaving it behind. What about this? Maybe I'll just learn how to, 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 to work hard in the daytime and then just leave it behind. And when I get home, I'll rest, you know, my mind. You know, I'll, I'll leave it behind me. That's what I'll do. I'll work hard, but when the, I close the shop and I close the doors and I leave to go home, that'll be the end of it. Look at verse 23. Because all his days his task is painful and grievous, even at night, even at night, his mind does not rest. And we wonder why Valium is the number one prescription drug. Do you rest well at night? And we go over our schedules. I'm the world's worst. And I'm thinking about what's Tomorrow, what's tomorrow? No rest even at night. Dream about it. And now if you want to look at verses 24 through 26, he gets this flash of insight. It's a marvelous thing, and I want you to wake up and get this. There is this flash of insight. And he says in verse 24, just a flash of insight. For a moment it looks like he's making a turn in the direction of his life. There's a flash of insight, revelation. He says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. Now, by application, three things. Number one, 
There is nothing inherent in man that makes it possible for him to extract enjoyment and pleasure in the things we do automatically. Now, I need to say it again because I want you to write that down. There is nothing inherent in man that makes it possible for him to extract enjoyment and pleasure in the things we do automatically. You can, you can look back at your own parents and know that for sure. And you can look back over your own life and know that for sure. There is nothing inherent in us that enables us to get pleasure in the things that we do automatically. Notice what he says. Pleasure, enjoyment in life, he said, comes from the hand of God. It is God who gives pleasure and enjoyment and meaning to life. There's nothing in us that can get that out of life. Second, by the way, I'm a, I need to say something, I need to mention an illustration of this. Rockefeller, you all know that story about him, got so sick that he, got, he was emaciated, weighed less than 100 pounds, had all the money that a, that a man would want to buy anything in the world. His, his menu, what the doctors allowed him for breakfast was one drop of coffee, one spoon of cereal, and one fartful of egg. There is nothing inherent in man that can extract enjoyment and pleasure from life Only God can make him be at peace. 2. Verse 25. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Second point. Enjoyment in life is God's personal gift. Enjoyment in life is God's personal gift. There's nothing any more fun than to be with God's people. There is no enjoyment in life like the life, like the enjoyment that comes from God in, with God's people, etc. Now the world says you don't need God. The world says get away from Him so you can have fun, have a good time. Enjoyment in life is God's personal gift. Verse 26 is 3. For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting, watch this, so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. Number three, those who are right with God derive benefit from everybody else's labor. That's what Jesus meant when He said, The meek shall inherit the earth. Those who are right with God derive benefit from everybody else's behavior. And then the flash of insight went away like a puff, and He said, This too is vanity and striving after the wind. My invitation tonight is this. 
My invitation is that Jesus has come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. There's no reason why a man cannot live in joy and fulfillment, in pleasure. There is no reason tonight for a man to live a life of emptiness, heartache, failure, and misery. And from the hand of God comes joy and life. If you'll receive it, let's pray together. Father, help us to see the futility of a life that's lived apart from You. Help us to understand that when we come to the end, it's just death for all of us. And if we've accumulated it, we leave it behind for those that we may not even be able to trust. Help us to see that there is no ability in us to extract from life pleasure, enjoyment, but to recognize that joy and fulfillment and blessing comes from your hand. I pray you'll give us the faith to believe that, trust that, so that we'll commit our life to you and our energy to you and our plans and our dreams to you. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. There are three invitations tonight. The first invitation is for you to receive Christ as your Savior. There's no way in life apart from Him, no way of salvation, no way of eternal life. Come tonight to receive Him as your personal Savior. If you die tonight and all of us face that inevitable, you'll be separated from God forever. For spiritual death is the separation of the Spirit from God. You can be saved tonight. Saved for all eternity if you come and place your faith in Him. I want you to do that if you're lost. I ask you to come tonight to join this church as some did this morning or come tonight to say, I want to, I want to rededicate myself to Christ. I want to find the fulfillment and the joy that comes in fellowship with Him. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come to these invitations. <laughs>